You ready to roll? I'm ready. All right, we're rolling. This is the Bearded Carcast, episode three. I almost said episode four, but it's episode three, season four. You're getting ahead of yourself. I am getting ahead of myself. That's, I guess that's the, uh, the excitement of uh, the second week in the NFL, heading into week three. Uh, and that's it. That's point. the end of the Bearded Carcast for today. <laughs> Come back next week. We promise episode four. It's been talked about. The momentum is building. People are excited. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. I'm just I'm just all out of sorts. I had uh, baseball practice last night, and uh, I haven't picked up a baseball in, in months. And I was like throwing grounders to the kids because they're on the bigger field, and we're trying to get them to get used to the bigger field. We had all these stations. There were like 26 kids. We have two teams that are practicing together. And I woke up this morning, David. My arm was barking. Just and then I took the dog for a walk. Totally lost track of time. You texted me like, "Hey, you ready?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, we're doing the pod." I mean, I knew we were doing the podcast. I just. <laughs> So it, I'm just, Wait a second. I'm this isn't your biggest priority? It is, but I'm just— I, I thought this is what you live for. Yeah, yesterday was a, a big day. I went to the gym in the morning, and, of course, we haven't—this is the first week back going to Orange Theory. I haven't done that in six months. And I uh, walked the dog yesterday, walked the dog today, had baseball practice last night. So, I'm um, yeah, 51's not looking good for me right now. So how did it feel going to a gym? It felt good. I mean, they— uh, I think Orange Theory did, had great protocols. I mean, you were, um, and for those that are, are unfamiliar with how Orange Theory works, and I don't know if you've ever seen one, Dave, but it's basically, um, uh, well, the gyms we go to is basically it's a long rectangular room, and you have up front you have rowers and you have treadmills, and they like face not face each other, but they're because there's a hallway, there's a walkway in between, but there's you know one machine on either side, and then in the back they have basically 14 or 15, 16 stations that have like the TRX straps and they have dumbbells and you have a bench and all that. So what they did is they, you, you separate, uh, basically every other, um, every other machine or every other station is blocked off. And then they had a rotation where like, if you were in the weight room in the back, you would go up like the, the hallway that's, not in the, the same gym room and you would walk up and then come into the, where the treadmills and the rowers are. So it's, I felt safe. I mean, I felt it was, uh, you know, you wipe, you had to wipe every time you touch something, you wiping stuff down. And, um, the way they're doing it, it used to be classes on the hour and now it's classes, uh, every 75 minutes. So you, you still have a 60 minute class, but then they do 15 minutes where they just completely wipe everything down. So I mean, so, I mean, it's, I don't know that you could do anything, you, I don't think you could do any physical activity and be any safer. The only thing safer would be not to do it. So I, I, I felt pretty well, confident about no. it. Well, would, no. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be safer to do a workout outside? What? Dave, come on. No, I, you're right. But that didn't – That well, let me put it this way. They were doing online – I just couldn't get into the online stuff they were doing and working out. It's just – it's a different uh, – You're. I mean, you're you're absolutely right – but what I'm saying is if you are going to do an activity indoors in physical activity, I think that's the safest way you can do it. The only other thing safer, to your point, yeah. is correct, is you'd have to do it outside. And they did do it outside um, like a week and a half or two weeks before they opened up. Uh, the gov- the, they had kind of – the restrictions here kind of loosened up. You still couldn't go inside, but you could do outdoor stuff. And it just – I don't know. I don't know if it's bougie or getting old or getting stubborn or what, but it's just – mental block I just those, those workouts just weren't working for me so but it was good to get back and and do some sort of physical activity 
So you're beat up, I'm but beat up and old you're 2-0 and and picking NFL well, games, which you have to feel you? good about. I, well, now, I will say this. I mean, I, I mean, the Patriots really had a chance. I mean, they, they probably could have won that game. Um, but uh, I thought it was an entertaining game, no, no doubt about it. Uh, and Cam actually played better. That was probably his best game against Seattle, uh, or at least one of his better games. I mean, statistically, it was one of his better games. I think it was one of his top five passing games ever. Uh, he looked sharp. Um, you know, it's funny, and I haven't really been paying attention to the New England media in the last 24 hours, but I thought he looked like he got, he got banged up a little bit late in that game. He looked like he was, but, you know, I mean, that's an of course thing with him because he he doesn't treat that position as a as a quarterback. He treats that position as a football player playing quarterback. Um, he's always been physical. And, and look, that's going to always be kind of the asterisk next to him when you look to forward projection, right? Like, can he stay healthy? And we know... Look, 2015, he was healthy. He had a great year, MVP year. Um, now, I'm not saying he's going to be an MVP this year, uh, but if he stays healthy, it's going to be interesting in New England. I mean, it is completely reasonable for people to have watched the first two games and said, Cam Newton looks terrific. It's reasonable that there is a discussion about whether the Patriots would eventually sign him long term if he has a good year, but they lost the game. Why did they lose the game? Well, I think early on they uh, they gave up too much in the run game. Uh, and, look, Russell Wilson, after two games, I mean, I know um, some of his teammates were trying to already start the MVP campaign. He he, he might be coming into his prime. And, and age-wise, not to say he's past his prime because he's still pretty young, but, I mean – He's that guy's amazing. Like he's just I, I think on the East Coast we forget about him because you don't see Seattle that often. Although it seems like we the, the Panthers play them almost every year. Um But I would say there were a couple I mean, I I didn't really have a problem necessarily with the fourth down call. I mean, I think that was an execution play. I mean, I think um if that block is made on the I think it was the safety that was coming in off the end and uh the, the fullback just kinda submarined him and that that, that was just enough to block off the play. Uh, I probably would have liked to have seen more, more spread there. Um, and then maybe give Cam more of a read option. But, uh, I mean, it didn't come down to that play. There were, there were, there were some other plays in that game that, you know, the Patriots didn't convert on. And it was – and after that start, I mean, Greg Olson, man, he – you never, I mean, not to say that he catches everything in the world, but you never see a ball go off his hands like that. Or at least rare, and it goes right into Andrew McCourty for the pick six. So I mean, I think that was uh, that was interesting. The other thing that I think was interesting is uh, what, and I think we touched on this last week, but what what impact did not having the twelfth man there have in that game? You know, I mean, the Patriots seemingly looked pretty comfortable. I mean, they were able to make their calls. You, could, you know, you could tell that their adjustments were, uh, you know, were, were coming off. It was you know, it was very easy for them here, and I think even the some of the players after the game said it was somewhat eerie that, you know, they're so used to the the, the noise there and not to have that noise. Um, you know, it's – I don't know what impact it has, but I think it has some, you know, even if it's minimal. Yeah. I mean, if you are all in on Cam Newton, and at least for right now, that's what the Patriots are, 
I think you're committed to running that play or a similar play. And I agree with you. Maybe you spread them out. Maybe you run a read option. I don't know that you and I should be questioning Josh McDaniels. I think he's kind of proven that he knows what he's doing. But I think you're committed to Cam running or at least having the option to run the play that blew up, whatever. Seattle's had a very good defense for a long time. But to me, the bigger question in the game is, and I thought both teams looked good. They both looked like playoff teams, etc. But both defenses stunk. Yeah. The Patriots gave up, I don't know, 450 yards. Seattle, something similar. I think the Patriots passed for close to 400 yards. Seattle threw five touchdowns. And it would be one thing if there was no investment in defense. But don't the Patriots have the most expensive cornerback in the NFL? And Stephon Gilmore got beat kind of time and time. Gannon for two at least pretty big plays. Now, I really like Medcalf and Lockett, Seattle's two wide receivers, but if the point of having that kind of island-type cornerback that Darrell Revis or Deion Sanders-type guy is, he, he can't get beat. And if the Patriots' defense gives up 30 or 35 or 40 points a game, I don't think they're going to have a very good season. Now, maybe Seattle has one of the best offenses in the league, and it's the first road game. But to me, if the Patriots put up 30 points, they got to win. Yeah, but look, it's early still, right? I mean, it's you know, teams are still trying to figure out uh, themselves. I mean, because look, and I know this is kind of somewhat cliche, right? But I mean, every year, uh, even if you have the same exact personnel, your team's going to be different in some way, right? So it's you're st- and you know. All the preseason stuff hasn't really gelled. I, I think what's interesting, and I think this is, I saw this first week, and we talked about this on the postgame show um, with Eugene Robinson. Um, normally, the defenses come out of training camp and are pretty much ahead of the offense as far as, okay, they know what they're doing. Offenses tend to take more time to gel because there's more moving parts and what you have to do. Um, and I'm wondering if it's almost the, the script has been flipped this year where it's, it seems like offenses – are starting to roll and move and it's like defenses are having a little bit of a tougher time um, putting, you know, pulling their, their chemistry together. And, you know, when you look at that, the, the Patriots and Seahawks game, um, you know, the, the Panthers or the Panthers, the Patriots in that game, I mean, statistically, you know, look like they should have run away with it. I mean, they had better third down numbers rush for more. Uh, they had more passing yards. They didn't rush for more yards. Interestingly enough, because, uh, the Seahawks just ran the ball all over the place, um, but I, I, I mean, I agree with you. If, if I think any NFL team, Dave, scores thirty points, they should win, right? Because I think the, I, was it last year? The average, I think the average points scored was somewhere around twenty or twenty-one. So you figure if you get, you score thirty, you know, you should win. You know, what sixty, seventy percent of your games. And the teams that are winning this year, I don't know what there are. There are like eight 2-0 and teams, and like four or five of them have given up somewhere around 35 points this year. Only Seattle, who was in that shootout with the Patriots, and Green Bay, who played a high-scoring game. And I think there's, uh, I think there's one other 2-0 and team that's given up... Um, Oh, yeah, the Raiders, Raiders. Uh, have given up more than 50 points. So so the teams, and it, it's a small sample size, it's very early, but the teams that have gotten themselves to 2-0, and in large part, have helped their opponents in that 20-ish 
range. And if you watch the Patriots play, and again, maybe it is the Seahawks offense. But even in week one against the Dolphins, Ryan Fitzpatrick threw a couple of just atrocious interceptions. So yeah, the Dolphins scored 11, but they probably should have scored I don't know, 20-ish. And again, the Patriots probably still win that game, 24-21 or 21-20 or or, or something like that. But I'm concerned about the Patriots' defense. And and to me, that's a huge issue because going into the year, I thought they'd be able to run the ball and I thought the defense would be pretty stout. And I was a little bit concerned with the offense. Now, I will tell you this. This is something a friend of mine pointed out to me. And I think it's it's an incredible point. Julian Edelman is essentially uncoverable in the Cam Newton offense because you have to have a linebacker responsible for Cam. And when you have a linebacker responsible for Cam, the middle of the field is completely open and you can't have a second guy there for Edelman who runs all of that stuff between the hash marks. That, that's a really interesting dynamic. That being said, I still think there are at least one and maybe two offensive weapons away from being kind of scary. I, I don't think they can rely on Cam throwing the ball as much as he did on Sunday. Well, I think you want to see with Cam Newton his numbers, passing numbers, a little bit lower, to your point. And balance has always been a big thing when the Panthers have been successful. And granted, you know, he has some good running numbers, but you know, with Jonathan Stewart. My concern about New England, Dave, is where's their where's their running game going to come from, right? Because you don't want Cam to be the leading rusher every week, uh, to your point. And I don't know that you want to see him with a 30 for 44, 397 line every week either. Um, I think you want that to be, you know, closer to, you know, 19 of 23, 19 of 25, 300 yards, no interceptions, obviously. Uh, but I think you want to see... You know, like now, granted, James White wasn't there, even though he's probably more of a receiving threat as at running back. But um, I think what is interesting about New England, though, Dave, is especially if they can get a running game going without, I mean, you know, I think it's okay for Cam to have 20 or 30 yards a game rushing um, because I think you want to see him get more of the shorter yardage stuff and safer runs, right? Um, You know, you don't want him pounding up the middle all the time. But they need to have you know more of a complimentary running game and then I think then they are almost not unstoppable but they certainly can be that that offense you think of when you look at the defense though Dave I mean think about what, what they have like six or eight guys that opted out and I think most of them are all defensive and and some of the some of the defensive stars on this team so I, I was I think in March defensively I was higher on this team and going back to your point about Gilmore uh, you know, and they, you know, Patriots still probably have one of the best secondaries in the league. Um, but if you don't get, a, and I don't care who's back there, I don't care if Revis is back there. I mean, yeah, he's going to make some plays. But if you don't have a legitimate pass rush, um, and you're not, you know, Russell Wilson is the type of guy that he can scramble. He he's almost better. I mean, he's good in the pocket, but he's almost better when he's improvising. Um, and I think that's that's harder. Yeah. I think that's harder on the secondary. You know, it's one thing if you you know if you're putting pressure on a guy, um, you know, it's a lot harder for them to make those plays. But if you're if you're a guy that can can break free and and you know make plays on the run, um, you know, that's just a lot harder. 
Well, and I think you bring up an interesting point because in the first game, Cam threw the ball 19 times and he ran 15. In the second game, he obviously threw a ton and threw for a, a huge number of yards and again, ran quite a bit too. It probably needs to be somewhere in between. You bring up a great point though about the pass rush and this is my concern with Seattle. It seems to me that without Jadavian Clowney, they have a great deal of difficulty getting to the quarterback. And if they're going to get pressure, they have to manufacture it because they don't have that edge guy. Yes, the Patriots had all those guys out. They opted out. But Seattle didn't have the money or opted not to pay for that big defensive end that can just constantly get pressure. So they have to scheme pressure. And if they don't get pressure, you got Cam Newton sitting back and pecking you apart. And if you scheme pressure and you bring extra guys, you know, you have that possibility of getting burned. So like as much as I think both of those teams are good, they're playoff teams, it's week two, and they've got a lot to build on. Now you watched the Panthers and the Buccaneers, obviously that the hype train around the Buccaneers is through the roof. What were your thoughts on both teams, but particularly Tom Brady week two? Well, you knew he was going to re well, you were thinking like likelihood of rebounding, right? Because at his age, uh, I still think we're looking at him as like a, uh, a Steve Balboni or a Greg Luzinski or a Jim Rice, you know, like these big power hitters that, uh, you know, in their early 30s, you know, they're still mashing, but then, you know, they get to like 35, 36, 37, and, you know, it just goes, you know, and I think, I still think Father Time is going to catch up with Tom Brady. Uh, I just don't know that it's going to be this year. Now, he, there were some throws he made, Dave, that I thought were really good. I mean, he had a nice long pass to Evans. Um, there was a, a a good read adjustment on Evans, too, uh, that, that they scored a touchdown on where um, it looked like, the, the pass was to be, you know, maybe more on the inside and the, the defender had sealed that off. And so they did the back shoulder fade and, you know, he still made that throw. So, uh, you know, I think that for Tampa Bay and for, for Brady fans, uh, that was the game. He needed a bounce back game like that. You know, the Panthers, you know, again, I think offensively, I think they're, they're going to be okay. You know, Christian McCaffrey getting hurt, um, you know, in that game. I mean, it was, they were already behind at that point. So I, you know, you know, if McCaffrey's in that game, does it change the result? Maybe. I mean, they they gave up that late touchdown. Uh, they gave up big plays, which is concerning. Uh, now, if you listen to the coaches and the players, they they tell you um, that you know the mistakes that were made in that game. You know, huge penalties, some missed assignments. Um, they feel like those things are correctable. And, you know, this team could be two and zero. Surprisingly, um, they're not. They're zero and two, and they're young. Um, penalties were huge. Uh, you know. The, the young guy, Brown, I think he's going to be a stud. I mean, he does things that, you know, the guy, the guy from Auburn they picked in the first round. Um, but he had, on the first scoring drive, he had a big um, personal foul. Uh, it was like third and medium to third and long. And he had a, essentially a late hit on a guy. And so that extended the drive, and they laid a score, you know. So I, I think this team, I said this on the postgame show, Dave, I think the Panthers um, have a chance to be – a team that's going to be much improved by December. Uh, I don't have a win total. Like, I'm not going to tell you sitting here today that they're going to go 6-10 and 10 or, you know, I, I don't know what the win total is yet. I, I still don't have a good – because they might be able to steal a couple of games. Um, but it's the same thing around the league. I mean, they have to get pressure on the quarterback. And, you know, the it, it's really no – it's and Baltimore does this better than anybody, right? And I think Miami has done it at times. 
the secret to beat a Tom Brady led team, it's not like, um, you know, it's not like, um, you know, having the plans to D day in May, right? If you're the German, I mean, it's, it, there's not a secret recipe to beat Tom Brady. It's very simple. The difficulty comes in the execution of the plan, right? Which is, you know, you have to put pressure on him. You have to knock him off his spot. You have to make him uncomfortable. And when he doesn't have the real estate and the time to make decisions, um, he can be very average. And I think with his age, that's even more indicative of that. But um, he had just so much time back there. I mean, there were times where he had plenty of time to make throws. And um, to me, Dave, the the their rise and fall is going to be how well they protect Tom Brady. If teams are able to put pressure on him later in the year, um, they can make him look very pedestrian. But th- th- that didn't happen. And you know, I think I really thought Gronk was going to be a little bit more involved. I mean, he's basically irrelevant. I mean, and not the one question I had about him coming back because he talked about you know how how great he felt and how much he had lost weight and all this stuff. You wonder if he lost too much weight, right? I mean. Uh, he was pretty much a non-factor, and you know they didn't have Chris Godwin in that game either, and they they still offensively re- offensively were were kind of able to uh, to roll on. I do like I like Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's he's going to be fine. You know, DJ Moore was more involved in the offense, so I think that was needed. Um, you know they got the the one thing that the Panthers' offense has been pretty good at is it's been distributing the ball. Um, they had again they had two re- receivers. Um, Anderson and, and DJ Moore had 100 yards receiving. So, if they can tighten up the defense, eliminate the mistakes, I think they'll be competitive. I mean, I can't, I, I can't tell you they're they're a playoff team. I think they have a lot of growing pains to still go through, and I think that's what the first two weeks is all about. It was interesting. Um, I was doing some sports updates yesterday here in Charlotte on uh, FNZ and WBT, and so I, I logged in and uh, Christian McCaffrey um, wanted to talk to the media. And everybody thought it was going to be about the injury. And he started off talking about um, just how much confidence he has in this team. And he doesn't want his teammates to get down. And, and inside the locker room, Dave, I mean, there's still a lot of confidence. I think they feel like they're better than what their record says they are. Now, Bill Parcells, right? You are what your record says you are. But, um, you know, I think this team has has the ability to get better late. They'll be better late. And this is still the first year of Matt Rule. I think it's, you know, I think they need to have success. Because they need to get, um, they need people to buy in. Not that people haven't bought in, but you know, if if they go zero and twelve, you know, it's harder to buy into a new new coach when when things aren't going your way. I think I'd take the other side of that. I think it's a completely meaningless year, as in you want to see Teddy Bridgewater play well. You want the young guys to learn and get better. But it's it's a mulligan. You brought in a new head coach. You paid him a lot of money. Same thing with the coordinators. They didn't have any sort of off season. They're cycling through the roster. They're putting in their system. I, I mean, there's no expectations. If they go 7-9, and nine, or four and twelve, or two and fourteen. It doesn't matter. I think you can argue two and fourteen would be better because you would get a better draft pick. People have made such a huge deal of NFL injuries in week two. I could care less that Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Those aren't playoff teams. They're irrelevant. The injuries that happened this most recent week that make a huge, huge difference are Nick Bosa. 
He's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. And while Solomon Thomas is not an incredible player, he essentially plays the same position as Nick Bosa for the same team. The team that, oh, by the way, went to the Super Bowl last year representing the NFC. And the 49ers also lost Jimmy Garoppolo and Raheem Mostert went down. And they went into that game with all those wide receiver problems. If you're the 49ers, your schedule has saved you a little bit by playing the Jets and coming up with the Giants this week. But they are suffering massive injuries. And I, I, I think we're more aligned than we are not. I, I think the point is they have to show measurable gains, right? So, I mean, they can still go 2-14, and 14, but if they have... Uh, I think the ideal scenario would be, you know, you're in every game, you're you're close, you feel like you're getting over the hump. Uh, it's like the best of both worlds, right? Like you're showing improvement and you have a bad record so you can get better draft picks. Um, but there has to be... I think this year there yeah, has to I mean, be some sort of... They have to be able to define success somehow. Now how it is done in the media and how it is done with fans usually is more so on wins and losses. But I agree with you. I mean, this year is kind of, and we talked about this going into week one. I mean, there, there is an element of house money here, right? Um, I just think at some point though, and coaches always tell you this, I mean, you want to see, like, you know, you're going to take your lumps, but you need to, you need the wins to come along to help, uh, you know, help with morale and help with teams see the vision. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense. And I think if you're the Panthers internally, you're looking at the young guys and their development. Are they making the right reads, play in and play out? Are they doing the things that are being taught? You have to remember, this is a team that didn't have the normal offseason and the normal preseason, and they're doing a lot of evaluations now. If you leave this season and you go... The draft picks, the class was pretty strong. We got one or two guys that we think are really, really good. The free agent signings, the guys that were signed for more than one year, are going to be able to help this franchise. I, I think that's a good season. I, I think the wins and losses for non-playoff teams don't make a great deal of difference. Yeah, I think it's how you play. I mean, because the one thing we've ta- we've talked a lot about uh, in di- on all the different sports that we've covered, you know, like you can't. It's difficult to just turn on something right like you can't just i mean if it was that easy everybody would figure a way to how to do it and what i'm saying is you know a lot of people are talking about like purposefully tanking like you know kind of what you see um pay a little bit more so in the nba and there's, there's, there's values to that theory um but i've always been someone that you have to have something to build forward to right in, in other words i don't think you can look somebody in the eye and say all right i want you to stink this year but next year i want you to be really good you know, like like it's it's that losing mentality. I think sometimes can can breed losing, um, and that's why I think the message this year has been. I wouldn't say it's a mixed message. I mean, they want to win as many games as they can. The Panthers do, but they, and I think more internally, it would be to what you just said and what I said earlier is that they need to see measurable gains week to week. They need to find things to keep these guys positive because. They know it's going to be, you know, potentially a down year or long year, but they want them to, to, you know, they're trying to build a winning culture here. Um, so yeah, you can take your lumps, but you got to be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. 
I think it's the exact opposite of Tampa Bay, where you've got the aging quarterback, you've brought in free agents, you've got to win now. Like, the, the Buccaneers will be judged on wins and wins only. If there are 10 of them and they go to the playoffs, that's a win. And if there are eight of them and they miss the playoffs, that's a loss. And every year Tom Brady goes forward, he's going to get worse, not better. They have to do it now. I was watching the Monday Night Football game last night and a couple of times I asked myself is Drew Brees doing Mm. the Tom Brady thing now are we starting to see those signs of regression where he's still really good he's still very capable but they're just a couple of throws that that you look at and you, you think I don't think he makes that decision or I don't think he makes that throw or his arm used to be able to get that ball there a little bit quicker and not having Michael Thomas was a huge deal it's the first game Vegas played in the new stadium at home all of those sort of things but objectively the the Saints on a neutral field and I'm calling it neutral because because there are no fans, no fans and yeah. that's not really fair I mean maybe that's you know as opposed to it being a three-point advantage maybe it's a point and a half or two points being at home now but the, the Saints didn't lose they kind of got dominated I mean there was no point in the game in which you were like oh the Saints are are going to win like the the Raiders game plan, man, is is John Gruden the most old school guy in the entire world? <laughs> it's just like we're gonna run the ball to yep. Jacobs over and over again. Yep. You can't stop it, and we're gonna throw the ball to Waller over and over again, and you can't stop it, and we're just gonna keep doing those things. And at the end of the game, there's so many instances now of people going for it on fourth down. You don't kick a long field goal because if you miss, you give up the field position. He goes, now we're going to tee our dude up from 53 here, put the game away, we're up two scores. It's just, it, it's such a different way of going about things than what we've become used to the last year or two where people are overly aggressive and they go for it. But, I mean, there, there are some weird 2-0 and teams. Did you have the Arizona Cardinals, the Chicago Bears, the Las Vegas Raiders. Did you have those teams going two and zero? The Buffalo Bills. That's that's fairly surprising. And again, small sample size. Who have you played? But but I mean, the Raiders beating New Orleans. That's pretty impressive. Well, Dave. I mean, I, I saw the you know I, I saw the Raiders last week. I didn't think they were going to put thirty four points up on the Saints. You know, I mean, I I didn't see that coming. I mean, you know, yeah. they ran. I mean, you know, the the game plan was somewhat similar. I mean, Jacobs, uh, he had twenty seven carries last night, and against the Patriots, or pa- against the Panthers, it was twenty five. He actually had more yards, five more yards. Um, you know, it, no, I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't think the Raiders were going to start off two zero. But you know, it, it's hard to match teams up like that, right? Like in other words, you know, what does that say about the the Panthers? I mean, the Panthers close in two games yep but I, I mean it's it's it goes back to the seattle new england game right i mean the nfl is so much on matchups now right from week to week so it really depends like you might come up against a style next week and you get your doors blown off you know so i don't know i mean two games isn't yep four games is probably the better sample size you have a month under your belt um you know you can start to see trends a little bit better I didn't see Las Vegas off to a two and zero start. I didn't have Arizona off to a two and zero start either. Um, New England at one and one. Let a me ask you me. this: Remember yeah. the N- 
Yeah, that sounds about right. The the NFL has changed the playoff format, right? So there's seven teams now that make the playoffs in both the AFC and the NFC, and only one bye. The team that is the number one overall seed in both the AFC and the NFC gets a bye, then the other six teams all play off. If you were betting on who is going to get the bye in the NFC, Going into the year, there is no question that the 49ers and the Saints would have been the big favorites, that one of those two teams would get the bye. Both of those teams are one and one, and both of them clearly have issues, particularly the 49ers, with all of the injuries and, and some of them major injuries. But if you were to pick right now who is going to get the bye in the NFC, who would you go with? Whew. Wow. Well, I tell you, going into yesterday, I probably would have said New Orleans. Um, yep, me too. I would have said New Orleans. You know, I mean, Green Bay's off to a good start. Um, good quarterback, still, you know, young coach, questionable. So I don't, I don't know if I, I feel comfortable about that. Uh, maybe the Rams. Um, you know, Sean McVay. I think they learned from last year. You know, obviously two years ago, Super Bowl team. Um. I would say if you had to pin me down, I would say right now Rams or the Saints. Yeah, I think I'd still go with the Saints. I love the 49ers, but boy, I, I just think those injuries That's are, a lot to are killers. Yeah. And then you look at their division and – I mean, it, it feels like the entire NFC West, and again, small sample size, but it feels like the entire NFC West could go to the playoffs. Yeah, that's gonna be that's that's gonna be a beast. There's no doubt about that. You know, and everyone thought the I mean, South was if gonna Arizona be Arizona is legitimate. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean the the South the South is Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Well, I, I guess let's talk about the Falcons for a moment. <laughs> What well, what can you say? I I still think they have talent. It just feels like, and now this is like three years in a row of this that they lose games that they should not. Well, and now I mean, now is it in their head? You know what I mean? Like that that's one of those things where, you know, doom and gloom, right? I mean, I mean they should they should have I mean they should have put the Cowboys away, uh, but they should have put the Patriots away. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, no question. I mean, I, I don't know what that is. I mean, is it? Is it mentality? Is it bad play calling late? Is it just, I mean, in, in today's NFL, you can't be like out of shape. You know what I mean? Like that's, uh, that, and, uh, you know, because one of the things in the, the Super Bowl I was saying was that they, the defense was running around so much that, you know, there was a theory they got winded late in that game. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Atlanta should be better than, than what they are. I mean, and what is, I mean, this has to be, unless they do, unless they have a complete turnaround, and they did last year at the end of the year. I mean, this has got to be Dan Quinn's last year there, right? I mean, it could be his last week. Yeah. But that being said, I think they're good. I think they've played, I don't know, uh, six, seven pretty good quarters this year. They just they, they can't finish games. They've played against good teams. They could be 2-0 and against those good teams. And instead, they're 0-2. That's actually my pick of the week here in week number three. It's Atlanta minus three and a half against Chicago. I think the Bears are a, a really, really questionable 2-0. and hey, hey, they've won the games. In the end, you're assessed on wins and losses, but I'm not buying in. I think the Falcons are 0-2 on the verge of 2-0. and so, so I think you get value with Atlanta playing at home and laying just over a field goal. 
I'm one and one in my picks. You are two and zero oh in your picks. And two teams that you've seen plenty of this year. The Patriots are six-point home favorites over the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. You know, yesterday I would have uh, I would have said I'm I'm going to take New England. You know, uh, but I I don't know. I mean, the Raiders have put up thirty points. Now, granted. One, I th- you know, I think the Saints are a little bit better than the Panthers right now defensively. Uh, I wasn't. I mean, I mean, I, I'm so. I'll, I'll take the Patriots on this one. I'll go Patriots. Uh, but and you know, obviously with the points there, I'll take that. But uh, or lay that. But um, I might get this one wrong. But I'm going to go the Patriots on this one. I, I mean, I'm not sold on the Raiders, even though I've seen them. I agree. Um, and I think Bill Belichick. Um, he's going to have this team getting better and better. Um, so I'm going to go New England on this one. Yeah, I mean, it's the West Coast team going east to play an early game, and it's the team that played on Monday night playing on the short week traveling. It's Belichick, who you have to think is learning every week about his team and about his offense. Yeah, I'll be interested to get your thought on this. As I was watching... Cam Newton on Sunday, he threw that one interception on that kind of short out pattern. And, and I wondered if that's a pattern that like maybe the Patriots need to minimize. Like there are certain throws he's really, really strong at, but those quick passes that I think he gets in the huddle and has predetermined who he's going to throw the ball to. And you can see on tape, you know, they're in this formation and he's acting like this and maybe I can cut this route off. Do do you think that's something that the Patriots might, you know, they're obviously watching their own game film, maybe kind of scheme around. Or do you think if you stop throwing certain patterns, eventually the team you're playing against knows you're not going to throw those patterns. And that really kind of puts you into a tough spot on what you can call and when. I think this comes down to the credibility that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick have. Like, I think that they have the ability to go to him and say, uh, you know, this adjustment you need to make. You, you need to make this adjustment here. I think for years, Cam has gotten away with having that rifle arm and having the athletic ability to do almost whatever he wants. I think when he gets into trouble is when he relies on his athleticism over the smart play. You know, I mean, there are plenty of times um, he's got a little, you know, we always joke about the riverboat Ron, um, you know, Ron Rivera. Cam's a little bit of a riverboat gambler. I mean, there there were so many times where he would try to get the big chunk play instead of, you know, the safe seven-yard play that would extend the drive and get you another first down. And more to your point, though, and I remember the, the interception you're talking about, because um, and I thought the TV did a great job of illustrating this. I mean, he basically turned his head didn't move his eyes and therefore didn't move the, the, the cornerback or the safety off. And, um, and he's kind of baited a little bit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's something that, that will get, that will definitely get cleaned up and fixed. And I, and I think, but I think, but will it get corrected? I mean, it'll get pointed out, but will it change? Will it change either from the quarterback or from the way the coaches call plays? No, well, I, I think it's uh, I think you make the correction in practice first, and you know maybe they run that same play again, and 
you know, I, I keep going back to it until he fixes it. Uh, however, to your point, if it becomes a trend that it's something that's that's not fixable, then I think you stay away from it. But I think, look, you have you have two of arguably, you know, one of the best assistant coaches of all time, and definitely one of the best coaches of all time. And if they can't get a player, I mean, how many players have come in, Dave, and they have changed their careers? I, I think this is a situation where if you're Cam Newton, um, if they, you know, if they say jump you say how high I, I, I just think that's how it's going to be you know because they have the credibility and the and the knowledge and the the um the cachet like the old ef Hutton commercials right i mean if ef if Hutton talks people listen you know so i think i definitely think that's a, an adjustment that's going to be worked particularly on. in a contract year yeah i mean yep. he's yeah i mean yeah. cam's got an awful lot of incentive yeah absolutely This is the Bearded Carcast. I'm Dave Friedman with Mike Pacheco. We hope that you enjoy the show. We hope that you'll be a part of the show. Send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com, beardedcarcast at outlook.com. You can listen on Stitcher and iTunes and SoundCloud. Leave a review if you are so inclined. If you have the time to do it, we would appreciate it. Mike, the NFL has kind of taken over the sports landscape as it often does but this is a particularly busy season because a lot of the sports that we're used to seeing at other times are being played so you've got the beginning of the nfl season but you also have the nba playoffs and the nhl playoffs the united states open and and all sorts of other things i mean we're we're two weeks away from the preakness stakes which should take place in may not september what did you find yourself outside of the NFL, if anything, watching over the last several days? Um, certainly checked in on the uh, U.S. Open. Uh, you know, what was interesting about this time of year, uh, obviously, you know, normally you don't have the U.S. Open up against the NFL season. So Sunday was basically all NFL for me. Uh, Saturday we had a baseball game, so we watched a little bit, uh, a little bit of college football little bit of the U.S. Open, uh, and then John dragged me outside because he wanted to hit off the tee. So um, I had my fill of uh, yep. all three levels, Dave. I had youth sports, I had college sports, pro sports, and, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've kind of checked out on the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, and I, I wish I hadn't because it looks like it's, you know, it's an interesting series now tied up at, at, at one apiece. And, of course, um, you know, Celtics, you know, John and I are, we we've been um, following the Celtics pretty heavy this summer, so um, it it is weird, right? That because normally this is, I mean, this time in September you'd have the NHL season just about to start, and you'd have the N- NBA in exhibition, and right now both of those are, are deep into their playoffs. Um, I kind of like it, to be honest with you, but I think it, yeah, I think I it's mean, overkill. as we talked about last week, well. Yeah, I mean, just because you can't like you can't enjoy <laughs> everything. No like, you have I mean, to, if you want to, yeah. exactly. And that's the point. The United States Open is something that I would normally make appointment television. It's it's one of the four majors. I'm not an enormous golf guy, but I like watching those four big tournaments. Saturday, the college football slate wasn't particularly exciting. And I turned on the golf and I watched for a little bit and I recognized the brilliance of the players and the history of the course. 
And I just, I couldn't watch knowing that on Sunday I was going to watch the NFL. Yeah. And if you make that choice, and now if you decide you want to watch golf on Sunday because it's a major, I completely get that and respect that. But if you decide you're going to watch the NFL on Sunday, it's like watching the first three quarters or just the third quarter, the Saturday round of the golf, and then you're not going to watch the end. I mean, do do you watch um, the Sopranos but not watch the last 15 minutes of each episode? Like, I just (laughs) couldn't get into it knowing I wasn't going to watch the finale. Yeah, that that's really the hard thing about it is, and you know what? That's partially why things are spread out the way they are, right? I mean, normally we wouldn't be in that situation except for COVID. Um, the one thing I've liked about it for the summertime has been, you know, more options than just baseball. I mean, it stinks for baseball to have the competition because uh, obviously, um, and I haven't really paid attention to their numbers, but I think overall TV numbers for baseball probably are a little bit down, right? Um, because of the competition from the NHL and, and the NBA. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they get things back on track, too. I mean, has, I don't know. Has anybody said what, what they're thinking about restarting next season? I, I think what I've heard is the NBA is thinking about, like, a December or no, January start. Have you heard anything? Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, they've talked about a whole bunch of different things, but it keeps getting later and later. I mean, I think it was Christmas, and now I think it might be New Year's, and it wouldn't surprise me if it's not until mid-January or even February. I, I'm not sure they've made the decision. I think the NHL is trying to get to something more standard and normal, and, and both of those have been very high-quality products. That game the other night between the Nuggets and the Lakers was tremendous throughout, but the end was just fantastic drama. Anthony Davis hitting that three-pointer. I'm not exactly sure what Plumlee was doing. He he kind of stopped at LeBron. He didn't go over. It wasn't even really a screen. And what I was asking a bunch of my NBA friends was if Plumlee continues to Davis and give Davis all the credit in the world, mm-hmm. not only did he hit a really hard shot, Jokic was coming out on him and contesting the shot too. But if 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 Plumley continues and you essentially then have two guys on him or, or a guy and a half on Kim, what is the play? Because you've got LeBron standing at the elbow. Are you going to kind of lob it up to him, or is he going to dive to the rim? I'd be really interested to find out what that play was. There was a terrific article that was sent to me in the Wall Street Journal uh, last week about a very obscure college basketball coach named Jim Crutchfield. Jim Crutchfield has no real business being in college basketball. He was not a, a, a college athlete in any way he had no background that would suggest he should be a college basketball coach he was going to go to law school and he got the opportunity we're talking 30 or 40 years ago to uh coach a high school team and he had great success and he moved up and he became a low-level college assistant and at the same time he was coaching the tennis team and he won like eight conference titles in tennis, having never played or knowing anything about tennis. And eventually he became the head basketball coach at uh, a Division II school in West Virginia. 
and he had tremendous, tremendous success at West Liberty, and he played conventionally for a period of time, and just he didn't like it, and he wasn't having that much success. So kind of without going to any coaching clinics, without watching a lot of video, he just invented a new way of playing. And it reminds you a little bit of the Paul West headways that Loyola Marymount used to play. They run up and down the court and they shoot a million threes and they don't really defend and they trap and they press the whole game and they sub five guys in at a time. But the reason there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about Jim Crutchfield is because he left West Liberty he went down to a school, I think it's Nova Southeastern or something like that in Florida. The program had been horrible. They had won four and six games before he got there. His first year, they were kind of so-so okay, like 15 and 15 type. And then the next year, they were like, you know, 25 and five. And the question was like, how did he did it? And what is he doing that is so innovative? And this last offseason, both Eric Spolstra and Brad Stevens had sought him out to talk about basketball and talk about the things he's doing. And now those two teams are playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. And it just goes to show that there's such good coaching at so many levels. And you can learn stuff from, from anybody. And I found it to be to be fascinating, but the coaching in the NBA, the plays in the NBA, the level of play is extraordinary. The, the Nuggets are down 0-2, and maybe they're finished. They have had an unbelievable run, and they're going to be a fun team to watch going forward. The Lakers, obviously, with, with Davis and with LeBron and some of the complimentary pieces, they're a lot of fun. But you're right, those East, the Eastern Conference Series has been really good, too. And, and the reason I'm watching that is not just for entertainment value but because unlike the u.s open i'm i'm able to watch each step along the way like you have to make choices this time with with so much stuff going on and, and that's kind of an easy one to make because it, it's available and it, it's very high it's very high quality I think what's going to be interesting moving forward is how does the schedule get adjusted? Now, golf's going to go back to normal. I mean, they'll keep playing the, the way they, they normally have. Um, I think what would be interesting, Dave, is if the NBA adopts more of a, you know, a December, you know, a December to or even a December or January yep. later into the summer. And I think hockey would be better served to stay maybe in that, you know, September to May or, you know, maybe October to, to May, June. Uh, but I think it would be interesting if you had um, – in you know the NBA play. If the NBA playoffs, you know, or maybe you just move it off two months. But if the NBA playoffs are, uh, you know, are, are finished up in September, I think that's uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it'll be interesting when they kind of crunch all the numbers because I know their ratings in the bubble have not been what they thought they could be. It, it has not been a huge thing, and maybe that's because it's summertime and people are doing other things, or maybe this is just kind of a you know a, a very weird situation with the pandemic and, and all of that. You, you know, I, I wanted to mention that we, we didn't talk about it, but uh, with the golf, the, the winner of the golf tournament, Bryson DeChambeau plays golf in a way that really no one else plays it. He, he's very, very analytical. He's put on a ton of pounds, and he just absolutely pounds the golf ball to the point where he is aiming for the fairways but not actually hitting any of them. I mean, <laughs> he hit fewer fairways than anyone who has ever won a major golf tournament, but he just 
outmuscled the golf course. I mean, he, he hits the ball so ridiculously far that he's able to recover from being wide. And, and there is a thought in golf that this is ruining the game or it is changing the game. D- do you have any feelings on it? I mean, th- these older, traditional, classic golf courses aren't large enough to contain guys who can pound the ball that far off the tee. Yeah, I mean, the only real difference, uh, major difference really, between his game and my game, because I don't hit a lot of fairways either, is the power. (laughs) 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 Um, You know what? Uh, It it is interesting you say that, because when you're kind of building that up, it reminds me in a little bit, it's not a real one-to-one type of scenario, but it kind of reminds me of what's going on in baseball, right? Um, yep. For different reasons. But I mean, now it's like you might not be able to um, hit a gnat uh, at 100 miles an hour in the strike zone. But if you can hit that gnat somewhere close to the strike zone, you can make a lot of money. Um, and it's almost the same kind of thing, right? It's it's we're so in love with the power that or, or you know, executives have become so in love with the speed of a fastball um, and what that, does, you know, obviously, you know, creates a lot of high strikeout totals. Um, but it's it's different from how baseball is played. I mean, strikeouts have always been a part of the game, yes. But uh, you know, guys like Greg Maddox, um, you know, Tom Glavin, not, maybe not the hardest throwers, but but guys that could locate. Uh, same thing with golf, right? I mean, you can be extremely accurate, uh, hit a lot of fairways in regulation, but um, you know, Tiger Woods, you know, is a guy that revolutionized the game, and part of it was because of his power. Now you got guys coming behind him, like the Rory McIlroys. And um, the one thing that's interesting about golf, though, that, that's different from you – because know, even in baseball, there's, there's been talk in some parks in, in different years about you know moving fences in or moving fences back. Um, there are a lot of golf courses where, um, you know, obviously the ones that are more in the country, you have more flexibility. But, you know, some of the older courses, more urban courses, you can't change – like you can't make – um, you know, there's just some court like Olympic. I don't think you can make Olympic much longer, right? I mean, it's it's yep. You know, so now, like I said, I mean, you know, uh, Augusta. I don't know that you can make Augusta that much longer, um, because it's it's hemmed in by a by a neighborhood. So, um, yep. you know, I it, yeah, it's interesting. I I I I think there needs to be balance, no matter what it is, right? I mean, I think there's room for guys that can hit the ball a ton, but I think that there's there's room for guys that, can, that are shot makers too, um. I just think that it's the same as baseball. I think it's okay. The yeah. sport changes. The shift is okay in baseball. Or if the analytics only home runs matter, put a lineup together that's going to hit a buck 80 and everyone's going to hit home runs and we'll see how that fares. If the fastball is what's valued, that that's fine too. I mean, you know, for, for all of the powers, the only thing that wins in baseball, didn't the Royals win the World Series a few years ago with all those quick, speedy guys that got on base? Well, look, baseball is like the NFL, right? It's it's uh, it's cyclical. It is the trends. It is, you know, doing what other people are doing. It, you know, if you could feel the team of five pitchers that couldn't break a plane of glass but were striking guys out, they did find, you know, they're, they're going to find people that are going to be successful. Um, you know, as long as the numbers fit, right? If it's an, it has to fit into the analytics. I mean, it has to be successful. But um, look, I never thought I'd see bell bottoms again, and they came back. So you know, it's if it's something <laughs> if something works, you know, people find a way to make it happen.
All right, before we call it a day, I wanted to bring this up. I know nobody uh, in this country follows the Tour de France. My wife is a big fan, and I have come to enjoy the strategy and, quite frankly, just the beauty of it. And unlike all the other sports we're talking about that are played at the same time, the, the Tour de France is on at 6 in the morning or 7 in the morning, and it's done by noon. So it's easy to watch without having anything else conflict with it. What happened in this year's Tour de France, and I'll I'll dumb it down and and be quick about it, was there was one team that dominated the entire race and was cruising to victory. Their top rider was going to win the yellow jersey in Paris, and it was a foregone conclusion, and it was a 95% chance that was going to happen. They went to the final meaningful leg Saturday, and by meaningful, I mean the 21st leg is just ceremonial. Nobody runs, rides competitively as they get to the Champs-Élysées. So, so the 20th leg is really the de facto final leg. And this year, it was a time trial, which means there are no teams. Everyone just goes as quickly as they can on the course that's set up for that individual day. Well, this guy that was leading Primoz Roglic for a team, Jumbo Visma, had a 57-second lead, and when everyone is doing the exact same, not overly scientific or difficult course, not one person should beat another, or at least the top person shouldn't lose to the second-place person by 57 seconds. And what I'm about to tell you, if you're at all a skeptic, you're going to think to yourself, was doping involved? And obviously, mm. I have no idea whether it was or was not. But a 21-year-old Slovenian named Tajes Pogacar, mm. uh, Pogacar, I believe is the pronunciation, yeah. actually, sure. not only dusted Roglic, but won the event by a minute. So he ran the time trial two minutes faster than the guy who was leading and expected to win the entire time. Wow. And it, it was just one of those. I, I was trying to think about what in sports could you compare it to? And obviously, individual sports and team sports, it's a little bit hard to compare. But what I came up with was it would be as if the year Davidson went to the Elite Eight and were one shot away from going to the Final Four. It would be like if that team had gone to the Final Four. I should also mention that Pagacha's team was garbage. And in the Tour de France, if you have the best team, you have support going up yeah. the mountains. And it, it's just much, much, much easier to win when kind of you're insulated and helped when you get in trouble and you benefit from having all these strong riders around you. It's really a lot like college basketball. The teams that have resources tend to win and the teams that don't have resources don't tend to win. And Pagacha's team didn't have any resources. So he just kind of hung around and hung around and hung around. And going to this time trial, he he just went crazy. I mean, all, almost like a record-setting time and destroyed the field, yada, yada, yada. But it's almost like if when Davidson had Curry, they had gone to the Final Four, they had gone to the championship game, and they were down, you know, six or eight with three or four minutes left and Curry had himself scored, you know, 15 straight points to win the national championship. It was just an extraordinary effort. I understand it's a niche sport. I like a lot of niche sports. We don't talk a lot about horse racing because nobody cares, but it it was unbelievable. And, And 
yes, you are right to be skeptical, but I think you're kind of right to be skeptical about everything. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, who would have thought that the great truth teller among a generation of sports would be Jose Canseco? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, right, uh, you know, the Tour de France, uh, I didn't even realize it was going on. To be honest with you. So. That's where I'm at with that. It was rescheduled, like everything no, I, else. No, I know that. I know that. But I didn't yeah, realize. I mean, it, yeah, I didn't realize it was going on. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't really have a. So you can email us beardedcarcastoutlook.com, <laughs> and we can we can you can tell us what sports you would not like to hear about anymore because we can we can stop talking about those. I mean, I think that's why we talk about the NFL. We enjoy it, and a lot of other people enjoy it. If we decided to talk about cricket, you know, it, it would be like you and I talking about it. But I'm not sure anyone else would be listening to it. That's right. That's right. Well, send us an email, beardedcarcast at outlook.com, and you can always follow, always follow us at beardedcarcast on Twitter. All right. Made it through another one.